Um, I thank God for you. Uh, those watching online, I love you. And I wanted to ask you this. We're two weeks into the new year. So how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you guys are the ones who did not make New Year's resolutions. Because <laughs> 90% of New Year's resolutions fail <laughs> by the second week. Um, but here's the deal. A page turned in the calendar. The calendar changed. What changed for you? It's a new year. What's new for you? In fact, advertisers are coming after you right now with this phrase, you can be a new you. I Googled it this week, uh, a new you. And I found out that you can be a new you with a hair transplant. I found out, another ad said, you can be a new you with hair removal. I found out that you can be a new you by dieting and losing weight. Or that you can be a new you by building up, getting big muscles. I found out that you can be a new you by adding to your body through Botox. Or losing a part of your body through liposuction. You can be a new you. But you know, as I read through all those ads, what I reminded myself of, hey, that could be true for me. Because I need, don't you think I need a hair transplant right here, right here? And I certainly need hair removal on my ears. Why does it grow there when you're old? I could be a, a new me by losing down here some weight or building up some muscles up here. I, I could be a new me by being Botoxed or liposucked. But the real truth is, it's all superficial, artificial, surface stuff, cosmetic stuff. It doesn't change. In fact, I could have all that done and still be the worst version of myself. You know what I'm talking about? What's the worst version of you? Is it an angry version? Is it an insecure version? Is the worst version of you an arrogant version or an anxiety-ridden version? Is the worst version of you an addicted version? Is it a hateful, hurtful version? Is it a fake version? Is the worst version of you an, oh my gosh, what will other people think of me version? The worst version of me is painful to me and the worst version of you it's painful to you. But what if, what if today, over the course of the next 20 minutes, I could exchange my worst version of me for God's best version of me? What if you could exchange the worst version, your worst version of yourself for God's best version of you? In fact, that's my big question. What if you could exchange your worst version of you for God's best version of you? What if? And maybe you're like, well, I want to know what God's version is. Because is he going to make me into some too um, holier than thou or goody two-shoes or a uh, religious freak? I'll show you right here what God promises to do to create his best version of you. The word of God says, what happens when we live God's way? What happens, what's possible when we align our lives with God's plan for our lives? When we start to live God's dream for our lives, what happens? What is it? Here's his promise. He brings gifts into our lives. Isn't that wild? We simply, I mean, 
apart from God, doing our own thing, going our own way, being our own person, man, we're always gonna suffer lack. We're always gonna be the worst version of ourselves. But when we align our lives with God's will, God's plan for our lives, he starts pouring on the gifts, gifts that money cannot buy. He pours gifts into our lives, things like affection for others, exuberance for life and peace. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion for others and goodness to others. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. You see the struggle with the worst version of me. I, I could get all the Botox, have all the liposuction, hair removal, hair transplanted, lose weight, gain muscle, and it never touches the worst version of me because at root, at root, this is why New Year's resolutions don't work. They don't touch the root because the root is sin. The worst version of me, my worst version of myself, is just a reflection of my sinful self. That's what I want us to get. Myself, my sinful nature is my worst version of me. And your self, your sinful nature is your worst version of yourself. And so we're not making New Year's resolutions. Here's what changes a life. Here's what brings about desired transformation from the inside out. It's a commitment to believe the truth of God for our lives. And so we are studying what some call, scholars call the greatest book in the Bible. And we're in chapter eight of Romans, what is called the greatest chapter in the Bible. And so far, here are the truths we've learned and we're committing to believe them to see radical change in our lives. First week, we decided we would commit to believe, hey, I'm not condemned. Not by God, not by anybody. Because Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And when he did, he absorbed all God's condemnation do me for my sin. All the punishment I deserve for my sin, it all fell on Jesus. All God's anger, all God's judgment fell on Jesus that I would deserve for my sin. So I know now I am not condemned. God is not angry with me. God will never judge me. Not because there's anything special about me, but because of the full and finished work of Jesus on the cross. And when God raised him from the dead, oh my gosh, it changed everything. There was more than the victory. On the cross, there was a victory of the empty grave. And by that victory, I received the spirit of God within me. So that's the second truth we commit to believe, that God's spirit lives in us that he takes up residence within us. But we want him to be more than resident. We want him to be the president of our lives. I prayed all week that he would be the president of this church, that he would be the president of my life, that he would be the president of my marriage. We commit to believe that God's spirit lives in us. And that's all a setup. As Paul writes under the breath of God, God is breathing on him and he's writing. And here's the next truth he writes for us to believe. Therefore, now when you see therefore in the Bible, you always ask what it's there for. Sorry for a little preacher 
humor. Um, but it, it's a connecting word. It connects what Paul has said previously, that there's no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we are filled to the full with the fullness of God on the basis of those two truths. Here's the next truth. Therefore, you have no obligation to do, say do, Say doo-doo. I'm just messing with you. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, I do. I sin. And you do. You sin. We all do sin. And all our sins that we do are fully forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. But if we develop a lifestyle of sin, if those sins we do begin to dictate our thoughts, our emotions, our behavior, there are terrible consequences. Here's what he goes on to say. If you live, if your sin becomes a lifestyle, if you live by sin's dictates, if it controls your life, you will die. Now, Paul uses a very extreme word here. You likely know the Bible is not written in English, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. And the Greek word that Paul selects here is ath, excuse me, apothnesko. And it means to be subject to the eternal misery in hell. He says, if your lifestyle becomes a lifestyle of sin, then the consequence of those thoughts, those feelings, that behavior being dictated to by the sin, the consequence is an eternity of misery and hell. But then after saying that extreme word, without skipping a beat, without taking a breath, he offers this best ah option, this best promise of God. He writes this way, but if through your relationship with the spirit that lives in you, the spirit of God, if you put to death the corrupt ways of sin, you see Jesus died on the cross for our sins, in our place, as our substitute, taking the punishment we deserve when he was raised from the dead. And we believe, we believe that Jesus died for our sins and God raised him from the dead. We receive God's spirit to live in us. And that spirit helps us put to death, to crucify those sinful thoughts, those sinful words, that sinful behavior that is just gonna kill us and kill us forever. But through your relationship with the Spirit, you put to death the corrupt ways of sin. You then can experience his abundant life. Now, I want to know what that is because this sounds awesome. The abundant life of the Spirit of God. What is that? Well, Jesus gives us the details. As Paul wrote this, he knows the people in the church of Rome already know. They've memorized the words of Jesus. So let me give you the words of Jesus describing this abundance of life. Now, you also got to know that Jesus, though the New Testament is written in Greek, Jesus did not speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. It was like first century hillbilly. He talked the way I talk in English. This is Aramaic, the rendering in English from the Aramaic. Jesus said, the thief, Satan, has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy the things in your life that money cannot buy. He wants to steal your joy, destroy your peace, do damage to the preciousness of your relationships. 
He has only one thing in mind, to steal, slaughter, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come. I set aside my majesty in heaven. I set aside my glory in heaven. I came to earth through human birth, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man. I have come that you might, I have come to give you everything. Everything that money cannot buy, all the love, all the joy, all the peace, all the hope, in every circumstance, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expected. Life in its fullness until you overflow with joy, overflow with hope, overflow with peace, overflow with love. Now that sounds pretty awesome. My, my marriage to my Debbie is at uh, the most beautiful state it's ever been. Yeah, it, I mean, I, sweetheart, the applause is for you, putting up with me for 47 years. But yeah, we've been married for over 47 years. We dated for four years previous to that. She tells me that we actually met the summer after our sixth grade year. Don't tell her I don't remember that. But over those decades, there's been a, pro- a process of our love developing. We've had, I mean, there have been times that were horrible. There have been times that were happy. There have been times that were absolutely miserable. There have been, a forgiveness has to have flown from our hearts one toward the other for hurtful things we did and hurtful things we said. But right now, after 47 years, the love has developed in a very beautiful way. Same is true for you and I. I've been your pastor for 50 years. Wow, I am old. But still, I'm old. But I've been your pastor for 40 years. And our love has developed over those years. It's a process as we invest ourselves in each other. As Deb and I invest ourselves in each other, the love grows. Same is true for you and Jesus. As you invest yourself in Jesus, in his word, in prayer, in his worship, the love grows. So Paul, right now, you're gonna see what he says is the developmental process of your relationship with Jesus. Here we go. He writes, All who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, not everyone who is a human is a child of God. Everyone is a creation of God. Everyone has been created in God's image. But only those who are led by the Spirit, by the process of development, only those who develop a relationship with the Spirit are children of God. The best way I think I can teach this is to tell you one boy's true story. Um, Before I tell you his story, let me ask you to think back to when you were 10 or 11 years old. Think back to your life when you were 10 or 11 years old. Think of the people, the important people in your life, your family, your friends. Can you remember the house you lived in when you were 11 years old? Your your bedroom, the, the neighborhood when you were 10 or 11 years old? Uh, can you remember the school uh, you went to when you were 10 or 11? Can you remember the style of clothes you wore? I know you want to forget that. But can you remember the kind of clothes you wore when you were 10 or 11? Did, did you go to church when you were 10 or 11 years old? 
When, when you were 10 or 11 years old, were you ever hungry? I don't mean like, mom, I need a snack hungry. I mean, did you ever go days and days and days without a bite of food? Well, the boy in this story, when he was 11 years old, um, hunger, aching hunger, severe malnutrition was his closest friend. He would do anything for a bite of fruit. He would pick up rocks and throw them up in mango trees trying to dislodge a mango. And if he did, if he was lucky enough, if the mango fell and he ate the mango, then he was just hungrier than he was before. He was so desperate. I don't know how desperate you've ever been for food. Sometimes I get really desperate for spam. But I take care of that every morning. But I don't know how desperate you've ever been for food. But in his desperation, he and his sister would, would dig through people's garbage just to see if they could find, lick the plate, see if they could find any morsel of food, any bone that was thrown up that they could break, break and suck the juice out of, anything. I mean, he was so desperate for food and the, 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 the hunger had, was so intense, the pain. He, he would mix water with dirt and make mud and eat the mud just to get something on the inside. Now for the first 10 years of his life, he was well loved. His mom was like his best friend, but that love was brutally stolen from him when she was murdered. His dad abandoned the family when he was just a baby, never knew uh, his dad. And so when his mom was murdered, he had no one he had nothing. He had no place to stay. He would have to wait till other people went to bed and then sneak under their porch to have a place to sleep. Here's a picture of the house he grew up in, in uh, Haiti, um, when his mom uh, was alive. It's, it's not much. It was called the prostitute's house because uh, his mom would sell her body, not for money, but for food, for her children until she slept with one man and he uh, murdered her. That was when this boy was 10 years old. And from that point forward, he had nothing. Never went to school a day in his life because no money. He's 10 years old and never been to school. Was never allowed in church because what few clothes he had were just nasty. So he, he was banned, barred from church. But my wife fell in love with him at first sight, our first trip to Haiti. I didn't. When Debbie suggested adoption, I'm like, hey, we're 50 years old. I just got rid of the kids. Life is good. I said, I tell you what, um, I understand you love this boy and we'll pay for his food. We'll pay for him to go to school. We'll, we'll buy him clothes. We'll, we'll cover his medical expenses, whatever they may be. But no, I don't want to adopt him until in my living room on my knees, put my face and my hands down into that crease between couch cushions. And I prayed about that child. And during my prayer, God said, make that child your son. And so from that point forward, all of our money, all of our effort, all of our energy, Debbie lived in Haiti for, for nine months in the adoption process and just everything, everything, everything 
everything went wrong. It was extremely hard on our marriage. We just were totally exhausted financially, emotionally in our relationship. Um, but I, I, do, I wanted to tell you this. Adoption is a very lengthy and expensive process. Your adoption, your adoption was an incredibly, unbelievably lengthy process. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm not adopted. Oh yeah? Look at the word of God. Scripture says, before God laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through our relationship with Jesus Christ. It was all, before there was a gleam in your father's eye, God has had his heart set on you. He had already decided that if you would say yes to Jesus, that he would adopt you into his family. And friends, it was just a lengthy process from before the world began. It was a very costly process. It cost God the precious life of his one and only son, Jesus. You know the text, John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Look at this scripture. God sent his son, Jesus, heaven to earth, so that he would adopt us as his very own children. And I tell you, adoption, then it, it changes a relationship. Our son, if you don't know my family, our son's name is Wilkie. When he was in Haiti, he was called Tiblon. I don't know that he ever really knew a real name because he chose Wilkie um, after he became our son. Tiblon is a Creole phrase that means little white, which is not a nice thing to call a black Haitian. But he was demeaned, bullied, threats on his life. And he went from being, by the adoption, he went from being just a, the lowest of the low and the poorest of the poor in his village in Haiti to being our son. Changed everything. It wasn't just that I felt compassion for him. Now, now he is mine. I remember the first time the U.S. Embassy told Deb and I, you will never get this boy out of Haiti. What? but he's already adopted in Haiti. Why won't you let us bring him to America? Hey, just, just with our suggestion is that you get on a plane, fly back to the States and forget you ever met this child. No way. We're responsible for him now. He's our son. We're responsible for his health, his education, his clothing. We're responsible for everything. He's our son. Sorry, he's never getting out of Haiti. In fact, First Saturday morning in America, Wilkie's laying on our couch watching cartoons. I went down to the mailbox, come back with a letter from the U.S. government listing all the reasons that he would never be able to come to America. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it changed the relationship from just being sorry for someone to paying the price, making the sacrifice, fighting the fight, bearing the burden. You are my son, so now when he calls me dad, when I see him kiss his mom, it's everything, the same thing happened. 
between you and God the Father, when he adopted you, he stopped being some far off remote, out of touch, out of date, deity, far, far away. And he came up close. Your friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Your good shepherd. So that he lives right now, right here in the air you breathe. One mom described adoption as when a baby grows in your heart. Instead of in your tummy. You see, that's what, what you did. You grew in God's heart. You got bigger and bigger in God's heart. You start taking up more and more space in God's thinking, in God's emotion, until he said, I cannot live. I cannot live forever without you, without you, without you. I want you to be my child. And you came into the family of God. Scripture says, You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, when did that happen? Well, the Bible says it happened when you were baptized, when you were buried in the waters. Peter said, remember the best friend of Jesus, Peter? Peter said, turn from your sin, turn to God, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus. Why? To have your sins washed away and that you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You received God's spirit and That's when you were adopted as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic slash Hebrew for Papa. First time I was in Israel, uh, our people were in a shop and I was sick of shops and I was walking in a neighborhood. And as I walked by one driveway, a car pulls right into the driveway up to the house and in the front yard's a little boy, three or four years old on a tricycle. When he sees this middle-aged man get out of the car, he jumps off the trike, runs at the guy and yells, Abba, Abba, Papa, Papa. That's the relationship we have now with God. The, the adoption has changed. The relationship has changed everything. Um, here's the... A picture of our son, Wilkie. When he was 11, uh, he's drinking his first uh, bottle pop, first Coke. His eyes kind of glazed over. Um, that was 18 years ago. Here's Wilkie now with his wife, Marissa. You guys, most of you know my son and his daughters, Willow and, and uh, Bella. You know, there's a part of adoption that's kind of weird. When you adopt a child who's not in an orphanage and who is not a baby, like our son when he was uh, 11, um, you have to get their permission. And this adoption process, you've got to go down to the country where they live and meet them X number of times, build the relationship. And then there comes a, a point in the process where you have to call and ask their permission to adopt them. And so we made the call and we called a Haitian pastor and said, you know, would you please ask Wilkie if he wants David and Debbie to be his mom and dad, if he wants to be their son, if he wants to be in their family. And the the pastor, Pastor Raymond said, I'll I'll do whatever it takes to help you. Click. (laughs) Now you did at that time, you just just didn't call back to America like that. But so we're waiting. What's he going to say? What do you think? You know, would he rather stay there? We get the call. Obviously, he said yes. Said yes to the relationship. Said yes to the family. And the same is true for you with God. 
you have to say yes to Jesus for the adoption to take place. And so I'm gonna help you with that right now. I'd like to pray a prayer with you. I'd like for us to pray together, everyone in the room. So let's stand up together, please. Some of you in the room have already, many of you, maybe most of you in the room have already prayed this prayer. Maybe most of you online have prayed this prayer, but we're gonna pray it out loud together. And maybe for some of you in the room, it's the very first time you've said yes to Jesus. And if that's true for you and you mean this prayer, I want you to come down front. I'll meet you uh, right down here. My Debbie has made taco soup for lunch, so boo, but I'll wait for you. You're important to me. So let's bow our heads. I will pray, and you just pray the phrases after me. Let's pray this aloud together. Our Father in heaven, we glorify your name. We thank you for Jesus. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe Jesus died for our sins. We believe you raised him from the dead. We believe your spirit can live in us. We say yes. Adopt us, Lord, on the basis of our belief in Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And now we are your child. In Jesus' name, amen. From our text, here's our truth to believe. We commit to believe this week. Say it with me, right after me. I commit to believe. I am a child of God. I commit to believe. I am a child of God. Okay, my Debbie, while you're slurping in that taco soup, Remind yourself, dear, you are a child of God. For you all afternoon, when it comes to your thought, remind yourself, I am a child of God. When your head hits the pillow tonight, remind yourself, I am a child of God. When you wake up in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, remind yourself, I am a child of God. I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.